0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Vivek kondo founder of iZudo, a company that helps media publishers and retailers to own, build, and engage their audience using web push notifications. This is a company I'm really excited about after kind of hearing about it, understanding what they do. It's just so useful for anyone creating content, any media publishers specifically. And I was so fascinated by what they were doing. And in this episode, we go through how this all got started in the first place, how Vivek has built his team around iZudo, and some of the early feedback they got from customers and how they even acquired those first customers, how they've narrowed down who the ideal customer is for them, their customer acquisition strategy as well, along with that, how they've grown to 60 people in about five years, and what they've done to get to a 3 to $5 million run rate, how Vivek thinks about pricing, we go through that a lot in this episode because it is so important, especially for B2B SaaS founders, and so much more covered in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Vivek Kondawal, founder of izudo. Vivek, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Justin. I am excited about this conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for being here, and I'd love to start with just giving us a little bit more context as to what you're doing at iZudo.
1: Uh, sure. So, Isuto is an uh, is an own audience marketing platform for publishers. Uh, we as a, we are essentially in the business of uh, helping digital publishers uh, reduce their dependency on Google and Facebook, allowing them uh, a platform to to directly reach that audience uh, without anybody trying to throttle their reach. Yeah.
0: And, and with that, too, so and this is something that's definitely needed in terms of companies wanting to use this, wanting to find other ways to reach customers because it does get so expensive with, with paid advertising. Uh, and with that, too, then, how did you decide to start this company?
1: Interesting question. Uh, we actually landed here uh, by a sheer accident, uh, which took place in our previous company. Uh, prior to Isoto, we ran a startup for about seven years, where we did uh, four pivots. <laughs> the the last pivot, <laughs> which is what uh, was the most uh, stable, profitable version of the company, was when uh, we were uh, we were working with a lot of uh, e-commerce companies. We were working with a lot of publishers. We were we were deeply ingrained in the in the ecosystem, and this is 2014, uh, which essentially is uh, the time when when mobile exploded across the globe. Right, everybody wanted to have a mobile app. Everybody was going crazy that okay, we need to figure out our mobile strategy. Right, this was the this was the time when every single analyst was publishing a report that this year is going to be about mobile, right? And the next year, the same report (laughs) would come out again. And the next year, the same report would come out again. Uh, (laughs) That really has been the trend for the last decade, right? I think analysts have declared nothing but this year will be again about mobile growth. So so, uh, that's when we had figured out that uh, the whole uh, app-based growth model it's kind of broken because yeah. uh, while you know building apps might have become simpler in 2020, what has not become simpler is distributing apps. Right? Uh, app discovery was a problem back then. App discovery is a problem now. Right. And uh, you know, no matter what you do, you do eventually have to pay the Google tax or the Facebook tax, right? Uh, and all this, when you sort of you know think about the underlying problem, which the app is uh, for, which the app has been built and designed and so on, is the, the is a simple question: How do we engage with our users on mobile in a meaningful way so that we can keep them? coming back to consume our product and services, right? Now, if, if that's the question, the answer to that is not mobile app. The answer to that is, how can we use, can the, uh, can the existing infrastructure be used to engage better with these users, right? Which is where uh, the browser comes into picture, for example. Right. the browser where you and I go today to discover every single thing, right? I mean, you know, last time you opened the app store to search for something was when? Oh, I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> right. uh, our, our, our intuitive reaction is probably to ask Siri or to search on Google, right? That's what we do. Yep. The discovery starts from the browser, right? Uh, so... <clears throat> If that's the playground, right? We wanted to ensure that that we are playing on the playground. We're not shifting the playground to an app store, right? And that's where the idea came up that hey, you know what? Uh, <clears throat> if the problem is engagement, we need to focus on on the problem, right, and not really create another problem for the brand. From
0: that, then, understand that that's the problem. Like, you know, you're trying to get in this this mobile ecosystem it doesn't have to be an app. The browsers where people actually spend their time and you kind of come to this discovery. What were some of the first things you were doing uh, on that note, with the customer discovery phase with with thinking about what this what this was going to be in terms of this company? What were some of the first things you did with this this new company?
1: I think for the first few months, we did exactly what um, any founder or entrepreneur would do. Which is open their phone book and call up every single person that you know who might find value <laughs> in that service, right? I remember we we made uh, we we literally cold called every single person that we knew, right? With, you know within our network, right? And said, hey, uh, we have made we have made something cool, you know, give it a shot, right? Uh, and I think that's how we sort of you know got our uh, you know first. Uh, uh, i think first dozen uh, first you know first few customers uh, and which is when uh, the feedback started pouring in
0: what was some of that feedback you were getting back then when you had these initial conversations with people what were they saying about you know this idea then even once they started using the product what were they saying about it early on uh
1: so <laughs> you know i think the, int- the the initial feedback was actually very promising and very misleading <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, and i say this because uh, I remember somebody in, uh, in fact, a good friend, Avinash, had asked me in 2017 or yeah, that he'd asked me this question, uh, so Vivek, who is your ideal customer? And I remember answering him, anybody who has a domain name on the internet is my ideal customer. And, you know, come to think of it, that is as vague as it gets. <laughs> right? and I said that and again you know my, my answer was not me being arrogant my answer was basically what I was hearing from my customers right which we had back then you know we had we had bloggers as customers we had uh, we had coupon sites affiliates as customers we had e-commerce as customers we had all sorts of random businesses all types of businesses as customers right that it was very hard for me to pinpoint and say, okay, this is my customer segment, or this is these are the customers who get maximum value for our product and are willing to pay the maximum dollar for this, right? So the feedback yeah. was, while it was great to help us, uh, you know, shape, uh, you know, the first few features probably, but it was also very misleading because we were getting pulled in all sort of directions.
0: <laughs> from that though understanding you had kind of this wide variety then of customers how did you narrow down into who is the actual kind of ideal customer for iZudu?
1: We, we've actually done this twice now in the history of, uh, in the last 5 years right uh and uh, i think uh, you know it's a, it's actually a very simple exercise and it's it's kind of astounding that uh, a lot of founders do not do this enough right uh, very simple. Look at a customer list, right? Call up each and every single one of them, and ask them how much value are you getting out of the product? What would happen if this product did not exist tomorrow in your ecosystem? Right? How would you feel about it? Right? Uh, you know, and, and 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 answers to those questions will give you a very clear, uh, very uh, an amazing picture of. To which customers are you adding incredible value? For which customers are you a painkiller? Are you a vitamin, right? Or are you crack cocaine? <laughs> uh, yep. And I'll give you the uh, I'll tell you why I use that last word. Because when we did this exercise in 2017, we figured that uh, e-commerce, uh, online merchants, online retail that segment that was getting incredible value out of what we had built, which is using push notifications to retarget, get people back on the website, drive more conversions, drive more sales, drive more revenue. Fantastic. Life is good. Uh, When we sort of went back to our customers an year later, right? we figured that we figured a hidden segment within our customers. We figured that it was actually the media publishers. So while what we had built was a great painkiller for the customers in e-commerce, we figured out that for the custom for for publishers for media publishers, right? This was not a painkiller. This was literally like a drug. A drug yeah. which was solving not only a deep inherent pain but it was also giving them an incredible high, right? Uh, and I'll just sort of you know, elaborate on that a bit more. Uh, I remember we were speaking with uh, an editor of Newsroom, and he mentioned to us that uh, hey, whenever I publish a story, I have to wait for feedback to come in. I have to wait for this to get indexed in Google, I have to wait for the Facebook post and engagement on that post to happen or I have to wait for the email newsletter to go out for people to come back and comment on the story, right? With, with Izuto and push notifications, I'm able to push out a notification to the entire audience, get people back to reading my latest story in real time and collect real-time feedback all of this now takes a minute or two right versus 20 years back when it would have taken a day 20 years back in the print world people used to file stories in the evening or late night it'll get published the next day in the morning it'll reach the audience it'll reach the hands of the readers like it'll reach in their physical hands next day in the morning And the feedback loop might take a couple of hours from then. Much different scenario. (laughs) So 20 years back, this was almost a day long, right? And in 2020, still, this feedback loop was not short enough, right? And that's a problem which we were able to crack for that persona, right? Which was incredible because then the editor said that, you know what? I really could not care less of what others are thinking about this. But for me, this is a core part of my workflow. After I publish my story, I push a notification, full stop. I don't care about anything else in the middle, right? That's when you know you have a product market fit.
0: Yeah, and to that point, Vivek, like I, I saw this when I, when I heard about your company and I started looking around, I'm like, I'm a publisher in many ways, you know, I, I create media and content and blogs and everything. Yeah. And it's very compelling. To have this, and I've kind of always been curious about push notifications because of that exact reason you mentioned. Like you, you publish so many things, and you want the feedback more, more quickly, so you can see, you know, what's resonating with people, what's not resonating with people. You know, what types of stories do they enjoy? Do they not enjoy, etc. And this type of thing is is so useful for that. And on that note. Tell us a little bit more about the product itself, how this uh you know works or how how the brands are using it, and kind of what they see in the dashboard in the back end as well.
1: I'd be curious about more of the product side sure so uh the product at its core uh, helps uh, helps creators publishers editors uh, solve three 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 simple problems right the first one is uh, is converting anonymous visitors into committed visitors right uh, the moment you click on allow for a push notification right or the moment you submit your email id for a newsletter right that's the moment when you as a visitor have made the first commitment to the brand right and uh, as you sort of move forward, right? As you come back to consume more content on the website, as you come back and look at more merchandise, as you come back and look at the pricing pages, as you come back and actually swipe your card at some point in time and make a payment, right? The level of commitment just increases all the way along, right? But the first commitment, the first commitment is the click on the allow button, which is helping you convert the anonymous visitor into a subscribe into a push notification subscriber, right? That's what we facilitate, right? So that's the first thing which, which we help them solve. Uh, and in fact, it reminds me of a, of a fantastic quote which was which I heard uh, last week, uh, and this is from David Perell's podcast, who mentioned that uh, the folks at Basecamp said this: uh, "Just the way not every sound is music." Not everything on your traffic is audience. We essentially help publishers convert their traffic into an audience. Now, once that's done, that's when we help them understand what exactly is the audience consuming on the website. Are they consuming podcasts? Are they consuming blog posts? Are they just swiping through visuals or images? Right? Are they watching videos? Right. What category of videos are they watching? Are they watching politics, sports, and so on and so forth, right? And this understanding essentially enables them to send out uh, more contextual notifications to their audience and get them back on the website. So, so yeah, three things, right? Number one, convert your anonymous visitors into fans, Number two, understand what exactly is it that the audience is doing on your website. And number three, use that understanding to engage with that audience contextually and get them back on the website.
0: So when you're using this as a a publisher, you know, using iZudu, you're, you you're able then to basically see like, yeah, for each person that subscribes through when you allow push notification subscribes to that, you're able to see exactly basically every page and all the things they consume while they're on your website. Uh, which seems, I mean, that's very, very, very useful uh, on that side of things. How do you typically then in terms of use cases for brands, I don't know how much you know around this, but do you know how they're kind of using it and what's kind of the, the, the most, uh, most, most use cases for the companies in terms of how they're
1: kind of leveraging this? A lot of brands that we work... So <clears throat> we work with a lot of uh, digital newsrooms, uh, for example, uh, and uh, and newsrooms are uh, are full of action, right? Uh, I mean, for example, as we speak right now, millions of people are heading to to cast their vote right now, right? Which essentially means that all newsrooms are currently doing whatever they can to report the action live which essentially means that they want to share updates they want to share breaking news every single time as something major happens with their audience but that's one very big key very big use case breaking stories to the entire audience right that literally is uh, the number one or the most popular reason why editors use isoto right uh, apart from that uh, editors also use the product to to engage audience on their evergreen content right editors also use isoto to to get people back on website uh, uh, to drive specific conversion goals right uh, stuff like for example uh, let's say you have a membership section on the website and there have been people who have been visiting the that that section frequently but have not you know, get committed or, you know, taken the membership, right? So using push notifications to for soft nudges that, hey, Justin, uh, the membership area is now available for you. You You're just one step away from subscribing, right? That sort of stuff, right? So using push notifications for retargeting, softly nudging people to the funnel.
0: With this as well, I know you mentioned that I mean, this makes a lot of sense for um, so many different companies in terms of obviously publishers. But I, I, like I said, I told you how much I'm interested in this, and I've looked, looked, looked at it. And I'm like considering signing up. And, <laughs> and with this as well, then. So I know early on you were talking about how you know you're calling, you basically cold calling your all your contacts and trying to find the initial customers in the early days. Take me through today. Like, what does that customer acquisition strategy look like today for Azudu? How are you looking at that
1: today? Sure. So uh, even back in the day, right, we started off uh, primarily, uh, uh, you know, tapping into our network, right. But you know, quickly we realized that uh, that, that this is SaaS, and uh, we should sort of, you know, build a, you know, build an inside sales model, right, because of the ticket size at which we were selling, right. So back uh, early on, we had started invested, started investing in a. In a content marketing setup, so as to build a proper inbound uh, inbound funnel uh, to attract visitors, attract signups to the website, and so on. Right. Uh, that, along with uh, the outbound uh, slash field sales team, really is what sort of you know get, you know got us going on in the early days. Right. Uh, now that uh, as a bra- uh, as a product, we have been able to build uh, a much more uh solid clarity uh of our ideal customer we now uh rely primarily on uh uh, on our uh, on our outbound sales team right uh and then we have a we have a marketing team that uh that goes out there and assists these uh these sales uh these sales reps uh uh with very very targeted uh campaigns uh so we do severe so, we uh, so we're just getting heavy on account based marketing now we're trying to uh, execute uh, uh, <clears throat> a very specific strategy focused only on uh, on select accounts right uh, yeah that's what we that's what is sort of uh, is now uh, uh, a big focus for us. For you then, uh,
0: going a little bit deeper on the, the content marketing side, what are some of those things uh, in terms of the cadence you're creating content? How do you look at what types? Because you could have these in-depth guides. You can have shorter thing. I mean, obviously, more in-depth is going to rank higher on Google. I'm just curious on your headspace in terms of like how you think through the content side to build that out for sure you have kind of these these inbound requests coming
1: to your, your website. Right. Sure. So, uh push notifications uh, given the nature of push notifications right uh, so one it's, a, it's it actually still is a very uh, uh, you know, nascent or let's say uh, recent technology right there yeah. is uh, there's a lot of uh, awareness that needs to be uh, there's a lot of education that needs to happen right now uh, for prospects which is exactly why we have created a ton of content uh, educating customers, educating prospects about, hey, here is how you can actually use push notifications to drive more signups. Here is how you can use push notifications to build reader loyalty. Here is how you can build push ratifi- use push notifications to get more listeners for your podcast yeah. episodes and so on and so forth, right? So that sort of, uh, you know, uh, education remains uh, our uh, you know, biggest focus uh, when we are trying to build uh, content. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, after that, there is uh, a lot of content which is created essentially to uh, facilitate sales conversations. Right. So enabling sales to to be more impactful in terms of uh, helping prospects visualize uh, uh, how they can use push notifications for specific problems with statements, uh, statements uh, helping them visualize how they can use push notifications for their micro funnel conversions and so on and so forth
0: yeah i think the education piece is so huge especially in something like this where it is it is newer and i've interviewed a number of people and more so you know, whether it be frontier tech whether it be just things that aren't around yet things like the technology people aren't familiar with you have to have some type of educational piece and that it's definitely a long-term play as well where you look at as it grows and people discover more and more through your content uh obviously then you're well positioned and having having a huge database and library of content and i was talking to Ruben Harris from Career Karma, and he was talking about how, yeah, they're they're creating hundreds of articles per month and really targeting being the go-to spot for career advice. And so, you know, they're getting a million plus, you know, visitors a month, uh, and that's going to grow to the 10 million where they're targeting relatively soon. It's amazing how the content can kind of fuel that and educate and then bring people to you. And then to your point of then having the ability to have push notifications once they're on your site is a whole nother thing that's helpful for, for maintaining and keeping them on, on board as well. One of the things we we haven't talked about yet is on the team side of things. I know you mentioned the team had been in a different company for, for years. You pivoted four times. Take me through how your team has come together in, in terms of building this company and how the dynamics work in terms of who's doing what or, or, or how you've kind of ended up working together and, and finding the best way to work together?
1: We actually are uh, very lucky because uh, we are four founders at iZoto. It actually solves one problem, but, but then gives us two problems more. Right? <laughs> it solves the problem that uh, we have uh, clear owners for uh, for different functions. Right? Uh, yep. I have immense respect for solo founders uh, because it it is so overwhelming to to manage a business, manage a team, and manage the functions, right? So because we are four founders, uh, I take care of, for instance, uh, marketing, right? Uh, My other co-founder, Neil, who is a CEO, he takes care of uh, uh, enterprise sales and account management, right? Uh, The other co-founder, Sachin, uh, he takes care of technology, right? And then there is Shrikant who takes care of product, right? So between four of us, we were able to uh, split uh, the key functions, uh, you know, very clearly, which helps a lot, right? What it does not help in is uh, having, uh, you know, having four headstrong people as founders, right? <laughs> which essentially means that uh, you have to do nothing but over-communicate every single thought in your head. Otherwise, uh, you know... Uh, it is so easy to get into uh, into a silo operating mode, right? Or you know, get into conflicts. It is very, very easy, right? Uh, so yeah, I think. But then, yeah, I think it's more fun, honestly speaking. You know, more than the problems. Uh, you know, or uh, the good or the bad. right? it's just more fun to have. Uh, you know, more people to to share the journey with. So yeah. So that's been on the uh, on the core of the founding team itself, right? uh as a business we are now uh f- f- 60 people as of today yeah right. uh and we've sort of grown uh i think in 2016 when we had started we had about uh, eight people if i'm not wrong right and from then uh, we have sort of grown to 60 in the last uh, uh four and a half five years yeah
0: and with that too i mean growing to 60 people how has that been in terms of the hiring process how you think about bringing in talent for your company like
1: take me through that uh wow well, i think uh <laughs> hiring remains uh the biggest challenge uh i think uh uh every year i've had a vc associate call us to discuss our business, and they would ask a question: What has been your biggest challenge? Year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. <laughs> I've had the exact same answer: hiring. You know, uh yeah. getting our people, getting the right sort of people in the company. You know, uh, if we got lucky with the hiring, we would have troubles with onboarding. If we if if we got the onboarding right, we would have trouble with some level of fitment right it just does not end uh, i think uh, it's also an area where we have made uh, maximum mistakes as well and we have had uh, i think uh, uh, maximum learnings as well right uh, that's that's one thing which we have uh, you know I, I think you know it's it's also one of those things where uh, <clears throat> uh, you know some lessons are learned the hard way right uh, hiring is that is is that one thing where uh, founders uh, like really have to learn it the hard way. Uh, they have to sort of you know, commit some cardinal mistakes, right? Uh, and then sort of say, okay, I'm not going to... Ha- I cannot afford to repeat this again next time.
0: Is there anything on that that would be helpful as you're thinking about you know other founders who are hiring because i mean there's gonna be people listening obviously that are just getting started or people who have smaller companies and 60 employees anything in particular that has been helpful for you as you've gone about you know building this company
1: hiring wise this is actually a this can be a very long answer but i'll give it a shot Depend so so you said uh, 15 people and if so it's if, so a founder so if a is at that stage and by the way you know the context might completely change right because uh, I will speak from an Indian context. Uh, Indian teams are are, in, are inherently larger than the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, as compared to our U.S. counterparts. But uh, in principle, right, <clears throat> uh, here is what I would sort of uh, re- uh, recommend someone, right? Uh, having a very clear... Uh, um, so a lot of founders, uh, and I got this advice from somebody else as well, that... Uh, you just cannot hire because you have a JD, because you have a job description in your hand, right? You need to be able to put down in writing the action plan for that individual for a period of 30 to 45 days, right? And once you're able to visualize that, okay, this person who is now who I'm trying to hire will actually have these specific projects to focus on for a period of uh, four to six weeks and you have uh, and and it's not like you know you're just writing project titles right only if you can fill in the calendar of person for six weeks straight out from the day you hire them right that's when you know if if you really want that person right a lot of times we confuse We might need something which is probably in your sprint. A lot of times we might need someone for a small project, right? There are uh, often, but then uh, very rarely do you know that uh, this person is supposed to be, that you actually need this person to build out this function, right? So uh, I think building that level of visibility will give you so much more confidence that okay i really want to hire this person because i just cannot do this now myself right so i think that's something which is very important uh, and people sort of uh, you know i mean we have done this mistake uh, a lot of times that where we would not have we would not sort of document our uh, uh, the project plan for this specific individual for instance right uh, Onboarding the candidate, onboarding the person who is coming uh, into your company, is such uh, is is <laughs> it cannot be emphasized enough that you have to get it right. You know, it is such an incredible thing that people walk in on their first day with so much energy, with so much uh, you know enthusiasm, right, and then. Uh, it takes hours to get their email id right it takes hours for them to get the wi-fi password at times right you know that's just so funny right and then uh, you know living in the in the pandemic era right it just becomes even more difficult because the person would still be wearing the same same pjs right they would just probably log on to a different email ID, to a to to a different Zoom call. This to, for for us to sort of really make this person feel onboarded, really make this feel, make this person feel that he's a part of a new team. It it, it is going to take so much effort and energy from your side as uh, as a founder as a team, right? Uh, that unless you sort of you know plan out the absolute details, right? It is very easy to get this wrong. In fact, onboarding people, onboarding people in the pandemic remains our uh, you know current biggest challenge as well right now.
0: I know you mentioned yeah, I mean it's 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 so difficult, and so many founders mentioned this exact thing of like hiring is the hardest part of it, and continues to be because even when you're hiring initially, it's a small team. If you're hiring your first few, which is which are key, but then how do you scale up hiring potentially too, if you've grown that fast and there's so much around it that can be difficult. And one of the things you mentioned though earlier was around, you know, VC calls and you having with them and them talking about the hiring side. How have you funded this, this business? Has it been self-funded? Has it been bootstrap? Has it been VC backed? I'm curious.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, uh, IZuto is a bootstrapped, uh, uh, profitable business, right? Uh, we have been, uh, Profitable, uh, I think, uh, right from year one itself, if I'm not wrong.
0: What kind of traction have you had? And this is a, a few years in already. I mean, what kind of traction have you had already on that on that note, being being bootstrapped and uh, growing off of of revenue off of profitability today in 2020? Like, how much traction have you had already today in the
1: business? Right. Uh, so we crossed the million threshold, uh, I think, a year or a two, I think two years ago. Right. Uh, we now. Uh, in uh, somewhere between three to five million, yeah, from a run rate point of view.
0: With that as well, with that run rate being three to five million, then looking at where you started and had some pivots at your other company, you start this. Today then, I understand you're doing maybe three to five million in, in revenue you're going to end up doing for for a year. How, how has that changed just how you operate, how you think about things uh, overall, bigger picture on the business? I'm curious about that because a lot of companies are not going to get to That point but at this point where you're at with doing a few million revenue how do you think about things in terms of strategy the business
1: yeah Uh, I think uh, you know crossing uh, the 1 million uh, you know recurring revenue threshold is a big was a big milestone because uh, it helped us uh, you know get out of the uh, survive the company survive the month mode to uh, okay we can now uh we can now thrive as a business we can now thrive as a team right uh, yeah. we can take uh, we can make bolder decisions we can make bolder mistakes we can make bolder investments as well right uh uh the, you know, growing uh, uh or hitting a certain milestone in terms of revenue it is essentially uh it just allows uh, uh the business to uh to to, to i think do two things right number one it allows you to very clearly say okay if if this thing is working very clearly for you in your go-to market right let's say for example that is field sales fantastic how do we double down on this right and then uh, because there is cash in the bank you're able to answer that question freely right, without having to you know uh Uh, without having to feel restrained by your resources right number two you're able to uh, uh, make serious long-term investments on your product and technology as well right you're able to uh, start thinking about your next product you're able to think about hey how do we how do do we add more value to our customers right and uh uh, and what is it that we need to build out for these customers for the next quarter or in the next year right you're able to uh, in fact you're actually forced automatically by the momentum of your business to think (laughs) that far because you're not serving uh, you know uh, a couple of hundred customers now right you're serving uh, you know thousands of users across the globe right Uh, and these users uh, and again depending upon the, the segment you are serving, right, mid-market enterprise, SMB, your customers will actually force you, right, they will they will literally force on you their requirements, their needs, their pain points, right, which will actually f- force you to sort of plan, both in terms of what you want to build, right, and the people you need to actually build those things, right. Uh, so that's what sort of, you know, uh, this kind of uh, uh of a growth unlocks for you as well.
0: Yeah, and one of the things too on on that, kind of a similar note of that, big thing about SaaS companies is, well, any company really, but especially a SaaS company and getting this right, pricing. How have you thought about pricing? How has that evolved with the business as time has gone on?
1: I think pricing is uh, <laughs> uh, after hiring. Uh, pricing is what I would have uh, answered as uh, uh, as our biggest challenge, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, and, and it, again, it's also one of the lessons which is learned the hard way, right? Simply because uh, uh, when you listen to customers saying that uh, you should definitely charge more for this, right? That's when you realize that hey, I think we are we are grossly uh, underpricing ourselves in the market, right? Uh, and um, uh, the the worst part about this is you won't even get to know the deals you have lost because somebody in an enterprise felt you were too small for them because you were too cheap for them, right? So uh, in initial days, uh, we priced ourselves uh, just like uh, uh, just like a MailChimp would do, right? That, okay, Uh our customers are building lists, right? The list is what unlocks value for them, right? Uh, And this is going to be the value metric for our business. Let's let's use this as a value metric and price the product. Fantastic. Life is good. Uh, What we did get right uh, in the first take was uh, the value metric, which is subscriber. So we have a subscriber based pricing. The more people who opt in for your notifications, right? Allows you to reach reach more and more people, uh, and the more you have, uh, the more is a reach. The more value you get as a business, as a publisher, right? Uh, what we uh, and uh, and given the fact that we have been uh, we've sort of scaled uh, insanely over the last few years in terms of uh, technology and number of customer support and stuff like that, we have been able to build out a really. Sophisticated uh, technology, which ensures that, uh, uh, which ensures that publishers are able to get, uh, are able to reach their audience literally in real time, right, and that unlocks a lot of value for them, right, for, for which they're actually willing to pay a premium, right, uh, which is what for the longest time we did not have baked into our pricing <laughs> model, right, so. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, not a week goes by where we don't discuss this at length that I think we should have prices higher. <laughs> there, are, there are always deals where, uh, you know, where CSC come back and tell us that we could have commanded a premium over here. but yeah.
0: It's funny you say that because I've heard so many times too with people saying we should have higher prices. And I just talked to like Christian Pavarelli from We Are No Code. He had the same type of thing where people were basically, his customers were telling him, yeah, this is like too cheap. Like, how are you only charging this much? And he doubled his prices recently because of that feedback and he's still selling, you know? So it's like, it is so important to get that right. Because if you think about that difference, like doubling your pricing and people still pay, you're like, wait, what have I been leaving on the table the whole time?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) it's it's insane, absolutely. I'll tell you a story, right? I remember there was a customer who was paying $0 zero dollars to our competitor right and when when they moved to us they started paying us thirty thousand dollars annually right and uh, when we looked back at that story right we were blown that this is actually possible that a customer who was who initially took that service for granted found so much value in what we had built in what the way he was executing on our platform that he was willing to pay <laughs> you know 30,000 times of that money right so so yeah it's it it is amazing right as we uh, as we you know transition from an SMB to mid-market to an enterprise uh, there's so much pricing power uh, that uh, that B2B SaaS products actually have on the table.
0: Yeah, then it's it's so important to, you know, quote unquote get it right. Uh, and you're not gonna really clearly know that you ever have it right. That's the unfortunate thing. But you can definitely get closer by testing more of these and, and figuring it out. And and one of the last questions I have is just you know, from your experience obviously building a B2B SaaS company that's doing, you know, runway of three to five million in revenue, uh, very successful company, what would you tell other Kind of SaaS founders or B two B SaaS founder. Any other advice or any just lessons or takeaways you want to leave them with as we kind of wrap things up today?
1: I think uh, uh, from a B two B SaaS market, uh, you know, from a B two B SaaS point of view, uh, one thing which uh, which I would do again. I mean, if we were to do this all over again, right? Uh, I would definitely start way ahead in way ahead with our marketing efforts, right? Before even having a V1 out, right? Uh, it is it. It's a lesson that we we've learned the hard way over over a period of four and a half years. That uh, what matters is uh, is is building the audience, is having the audience ready and excited about your story, your version of the solution, rather than your solution itself, right? Uh, a lot of founders uh, don't, uh, or you know, procrastinate marketing uh, uh, till the time the product actually hits the market, till the time the product is ready, till the market, you know till the time the product is out of beta. I think all of that is uh, you know, I just uh, like it is literally you know, throwing away your unfair advantage, right? Uh, you know, while the product is getting built or actually being built right you have all the reasons to build you you have you should be focused on uh, uh on uh getting in touch with your with your customers with your prospects right uh and involve them in a conversation engage with them in a conversation which is not only helping for helping uh, your product team build a better product but then sort of also helping you, you know, grow your marketing list right uh, I think that's something uh, which I would definitely emphasize on. All right? Uh, yeah, I think like you know, and then the second one, of course, which we discuss again, is uh, please price more, please charge more. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, do, do not uh, avoid falling into the trap of a, of a competition-based pricing. Right? Uh, the <clears throat> the better you understand your customer, and the better you understand your buyer persona. Uh, the better you will be able to command uh, uh, you know, a premium uh, from your customers.
0: Vivek, where can people go to learn more about your company and connect with you as well?
1: You can check out iZoto on iZooto.com. Uh, I am personally fairly active on Twitter. You can find me on at uh, uh, Vivek, that's my handle. I am also active on LinkedIn. You can uh, find me uh, uh, with... Just search for Vivek Arnailwal. We will probably sort of uh, add the link in the show notes. Maybe that'll help. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. We'll definitely link it at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can find this episode. Vivek, thank you so much for taking the time to come to the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Justin. Pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, Find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at just go grind. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Gordon212. Find me on Instagram Justin Gordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.